You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 33 of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, September 10th, 2015. And today we have uh, myself, Mikey Campbell, and managing editor of Apple Insider, Neil Hughes. Hey, Mikey, how's it going? Pretty good. So, this was the Apple week. Could be the Apple month, the Apple year. What did you think about uh, yesterday's event? Uh, Not a lot of surprises, right? Uh, We pretty much knew everything that was going to happen. I was kind of surprised that they crammed all into one event, but the rumors leading up to it were that they were going to do that, and the rumor was right. That was one of those things that I was wondering, eh, maybe they'll you know hold it, because typically they hold an event in October. But I mean, it was a jam-packed event, three main product updates, um, iPhone 6S, obviously, Apple TV, iPad Pro were kind of the focuses of the event. Um, but overall, I think it came across pretty good, and it's a compelling lineup for the, for the fall, I'd say. Yeah, I, I was hearing some things about uh, people being disappointed that there weren't any uh, any one more things or you know any surprises at all. What do you think that there's a problem in that? I mean, I, there's something to be said for being surprised, but let's be honest: the people that are spoiled on this kind of stuff are the kind of people who are reading Apple Insider, so it's kind of their own fault. You know, it's not like. <laughs> It's not like they just like stumbled across a spoiler somewhere or something like that. Like, you know, leading up to this event, friends and family are reaching out to me going, what's going to be the new iPhone? When's it coming out? And we had a really good idea of what it was going to be and and got pretty much everything correct on all of it as as far as all the rumors went leading up to it. So, I mean, what what about the new iPhone? Did what do you think about it? 3D touch. Yeah. So for people listening, um, it's got. A force touch, which has now been kind of branded 3D touch, which has uh, different levels of um, of touch input, so you can push it kind of lightly, and it brings up menus, and then you can push deeper. Um, and that's basically the big defining feature of this iPhone success. Uh, it looks pretty much the same as last year's model. Uh, they have new material on the outside, the same as the Apple Watch, which will make it a little bit stiffer and harder and stuff like that. Uh, faster A9 CPU, um, which they say is uh, almost twice as fast as last year's processor, which is a pretty amazing achievement. Uh, new rose gold color, which uh, may be popular with the ladies. And uh, honestly, I think the the only thing that I didn't see coming about the iPhone was it's launching a week later than Apple usually launches phones. It was It's not coming until the 25th, and usually the phones go on sale about a week and a half after they're announced. So September 25th is when it'll hit the, the store shelves. Yeah, I wonder if that's more of a of a marketing thing, or do you think they're having trouble again? I, there were rumors uh, leading up to the announcement that they're having issues integrating uh, the 3D touch mechanism. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big internal overhaul to the point that mm-hmm. they had to squeeze a little bit more battery life out of the processor and stuff because they have to actually shrink the battery um, because you now have an entirely new uh, the Taptic engine has come over from the uh, MacBook and the Apple Watch and is now in the new iPhone so while you just had a pretty basic vibration motor 
in previous generation iPhones. Now you have a, real, a more advanced one that's going to give you more subtle feedback as you interact with the device and give it this haptic uh, sensation. So there's a lot of changes internally to this device um, that you don't see on the outside that could definitely play a part in the manufacturing of it and lead to complications. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's the reason why they have another week, just so they can ramp up production. Because, um, I mean, let's not forget, they do these giant global launches for their iPhones, you know, and they sell 12 million of them in three days. Uh, that's not <laughs> that's not an easy thing to do, to scale up to that level. So yeah. an extra week, um, people will live. They can live without their iPhone for a week. Yeah, I'm really interested to kind of uh, play with the uh, the 3D touch yeah. uh, system. I'd be, I mean, I, I, obviously there's going to be uh, a little bit of uh, flexure going on in the in the screen, right? Yeah. Since um, they have those capacitive cells built in with the uh, the backlight. Right. So I just want to. I wonder what it feels like. I mean. I know uh, Phil Schiller said that they're using the the new double ion exchange yes. uh, glass. So I mean, it's even stronger than before. They claim it's the strongest uh, glass of any phone on the market. I, you know, who who knows how that'll uh, survive in real world use? You can scratch anything, it seems, but that's what they say. Ionx glass is what they use in the entry level Apple Watch um, on the Sport model. Uh, and, I don't have a sport version, but I um, I hear it does stand up fairly well. I don't have any scratches on mine. Um, I know Shane got a little scratch on his, and he said that he can see it uh, from an angle uh, sometimes, and it, <laughs> it really upsets him. Uh, but I luckily don't have any scratches on mine yet, fingers crossed. And I'll probably scratch it later today because I said that. Um, I, have, I have a scratch on my uh, on the sapphire of the, uh, the stainless one. Really? Yeah, it, I think it's probably the same thing Shane's seeing. Yeah, it's like a it's like a scuff. I mean, it's not like a. It looks superficial, but I, I can't rub it off. Wait a minute! You're telling me that the immaculate sapphire isn't perfect and can actually scratch? Yeah, I got it about a week after uh, <laughs> I received my watch. I was that's pretty. I was pretty disheartened when I uh, when I saw it. You can see it if uh, you rub your finger on it, and there's like a little bit of oil or whatever. Mm-hmm. It leaves like a little. Uh, ghost impression. But you don't scratch. notice this in daily use, no, right? No, no, I mean, come on. No way. I have to look for it to, to see it. Yeah, I mean, for for our listeners who don't know, uh, for years there have been rumors that Apple was going to make, uh, you name it, they were going to make it out of Sapphire. Um, iPhone screens, iPad screens, MacBook screens. An um, entire Apple TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's really silly because first of all, Sapphire doesn't deal well with drop tests, and you won't drop your watch, but you will drop your phone. And so, yes, it might be scratch resistant, but there's other things to consider when you're when you're looking at these materials, including the fact that uh, Sapphire is really expensive and really hard to produce. So th- there's never really been um, a realistic expectation that Apple is going to produce, you know, 60 million iPhones in a quarter with Sapphire. Although I am sure that there are people who, after yesterday's event, were upset that there was no Sapphire on the iPhone success. So, yeah, well, we haven't heard those complaints yet because they're too busy complaining about uh, the lack of other stuff. Yeah, right. But I mean, so force or 3D touch. I'm sorry. Uh, even. Um, 
uh, Hair Force One yesterday in his presentation uh, slipped up and said uh, he force said for, he yeah. said he said yeah. force at some point in the presentation. So 3D touch, we have to get used to that. I mean, that's the big feature here, right? I mean, the the A9 mm-hmm. processor is nice. The the new color is nice, but I mean, the, the they say they improved uh, Touch ID and it's faster. But I mean, was it yeah. slow to begin with? I don't. Yeah. I mean, not really. My my uh, my girlfriend um, doesn't use it because I guess it takes too long. It's really? Like she's yeah, but it's not like she's on her phone. I, I'm on her. I'm on my phone probably about I don't know fifty times more than she is comparatively. <laughs> you know, now that you mention that, I notice a lot of people like when I'm out with friends or whatever, they have Touch ID and they still do. Yeah. the four-digit passcode, yeah. and they don't use Touch ID. And I don't know, maybe they're paranoid about their fingerprint or they, they don't understand it. I wonder what that is. Because well, I, I actually, actually, I have the complex passcode on mine. It's like a 10-digit oh, oh, password, oh, right, right. letters yeah. and numbers, capital, lowercase. Because for me, it's like, well, I only have to enter this when I'm restarting my phone anyhow. Mm-hmm. So I just do the complex passcode. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know what their deal is. I mean, I asked my I asked her and, and she said um, it just takes too long because maybe sometimes it doesn't catch or doesn't read it. It doesn't work if correctly. your fingers are moist. So like if it's raining yeah. out or you're sweating at the gym or something like that, then it's a problem. But other than that, it works great for me. I, I mean, it's sometimes it works so fast that I want to check something on my lock screen and the phone unlocks too quickly. Oh, right, right. Yeah. You got to like pull your that, thumb off yeah, of it like immediately. Yeah. So, I mean, Touch ID is faster, but I don't know how much I really care about that. The cameras are a big improvement. So we've got a 12 megapixel on the rear, and uh, it now shoots 4K video, even though there's only one Apple device that can display 4K video at its native resolution, which is the um, 27-inch iMac. Um, Not even the Apple TV can do 4K video. So that's interesting. I I feel like the 4K video is just a okay, the hardware is capable of this, so let's do it kind of feature, right? I think so. Um, I mean, everyone else is doing it, so right. So why not? It, and, it is a hot buzzword. Yeah, so. and you can, um, while you shoot 4K video, you can, um, you can snap 1080p photos during the video shoot as well. And the more pixels you have to work with, the better you can do image stabilization and stuff like that. So there are advantages to 4K not a feature that I'm crazy about. Uh, and then we have these new uh, photos that it takes as well. Uh, what are they called? The the, uh, the moving photos. People are calling them the Harry Potter photos. Oh, yeah, right. Um, yeah, so live photos. I mean, I, I don't know. It It's an interesting concept, and it is uh, great for those people who are invested in Apple's ecosystem because uh, you can use those as watch face screens, right? Yeah, that's pretty neat, actually. I thought that was cool. I, I don't yeah. know how much I care about this feature. I, the first thing I thought when I saw it was, oh, it automatically takes a video when I take a photo. It's just going to fill up my phone. I'm just going to run out of space faster. Yeah. Apparently, it. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know. I mean, they 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 said something they, about they being said, optimized yeah, and all that. Right, right. But I mean, come on. You know, like it's still a video on my phone for every photo I take. But is it a video? I thought it was a. Isn't it a series of still images? It might. Yeah. Basically? It's got a weird effect to it because it's not quite a video. I mean, yeah. it, look, it looks kind of like a GIF, right? Or a GIF. GIF is how I pronounce it. I, I pronounce it GIF as well. Yeah. Well, it, it, the one thing it made me think actually was, okay, so I can play these photos with uh, 3D touch in the Photos app, but I still can't play GIFs in the Photos app. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, come on, you know? Uh, well, I mean, you know. Apple, As someone who uh, sends and saves a fair amount of gifts and even makes gifts on my phone, Ooh. let's get gift support built into. Wow. I actually use an app called Giflay is what it's called. Although it's not currently working in iOS 9, so let's get that mm. fixed, whoever develops Giflay. But it's pretty cool. It scours your uh, Photos app, and then it just gives you a presentation of all the GIFs that you have on your phone. And then you can just find them and send them quickly that way. Um, and then the one I use to make GIFs is Giffer Pro. So if you guys are into GIFs out there, hot tip for you. There you go. I, uh, I feel like you need to uh, reevaluate your life choices. Uh, I, I did want to mention, though, while we're talking about the iPhones as well, um, I wrote a article uh, about this today, and you can find it in the show notes at the website if you are inclined to read it. But uh, Apple, one of the bigger announcements yesterday, kind of flew under the radar, is there's a new iPhone upgrade program. And what it is, it is a interest-free loan that allows you to pay for your iPhone and Apple Care Plus warranty over a two-year period. And then after 12 payments, the first year, um, you're eligible to trade in your phone and get next year's phone. So basically what Apple's doing here is they're bypassing the carriers. So the carriers have similar plans to this um, where they're interest-free and you can get the phone uh, at full cost but spread out over some period of time. The difference here, the, the main key, is that Apple is giving you the unlocked phone. And if you get it from AT&T, it's going to be locked to AT&T. So if you compare the plans um, for what they charge per month uh, for the for the models and the fact that it includes the Apple Care, if you're getting Apple Care with your phone, Apple's new upgrade program is probably your best bet um, for getting a new phone because, again, it's interest-free. So... All you're doing is just spreading the cost of the phone over two years, and that money is worth more in your pocket than it is in Apple's pocket. So, um, yeah, that was kind of an interesting thing that they did. And this kind of struck me, Mikey, as a, a snub to uh, the carriers. Would you agree? Uh, I would. I mean, it's never there, there's never really been any love lost between uh, Apple and the carriers. And I, I've, I've kind of been waiting for Apple to, you know, rest back power. Yeah from them and I guess this is a it's a decent start. It's a it's a small battle to pick, but a good one. Um, cuz the carriers aren't they're not, you know, making uh, money off of these plans. These plans yeah. are interest-free from Verizon as well. The the difference is that in exchange for them giving you a a, a beneficial loan, uh, what they do is uh, lock the phone so you can't leave and go to uh, from AT&T to T-Mobile or something. The one difference is T-Mobile has a new plan. Um, first of all, they're subsidizing the phone partially. So they are selling it for about $125 cheaper than the actual price of the handset through their plan they announced uh, this week. So you can get an iPhone uh, 6S from them with an 18-month plan. And over the course of the plan, you'd pay $524 for the 16-gig model instead of uh, $649. So the reason they're doing that is because they want you to try out their network and stick with it, and they're trying to grow um, their customer base. Uh, but they also have a thing where it's called a lifetime coverage guarantee. So if you sign up for T-Mobile and you don't like their signal because it doesn't work in your area, you can take the phone into the store, and they will unlock the phone for you, and you can go to the carrier of your choice. The only catch there is you still owe them the money for the phone, so you'd have to pay them over whatever amount of time it was. But interesting approach by the uncarrier, as they are known. 
um, and something that people that are looking to get this phone might consider if they're okay with trying out T-Mobile. Um, I know some people that have had T-Mobile and not had great experiences with their signal. Um, I used to be a T-Mobile customer in the past and ended up leaving because of signal issues and stuff. So maybe they've sorted that kind of stuff out. Um, I am on AT&T and I can't say I'm overly pleased with it, but I am the beneficiary of a uh, corporate discount, which helps me out. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, so I actually uh, switched to a cap data plan, and they kept adding these incentives, AT&T. And so now I have three people on my plan, and I think I have an 18-gig cap. And the total plan for three people with smartphones is like $125 a month. So it's actually Mm -hmm. pretty competitive. But the reason it's so low is because I don't have any phone subsidies. I pay outright for my phones. So I bought a... 128 gig iPhone 6 last year and paid $850 plus tax for it. Right. But in exchange for that, because I didn't take a two-year contract subsidy, they lowered my monthly rate. So six and one half dozen the other on that. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm still on the uh, I'm still on the old unlimited. A lot of people don't want to let that go, yeah. How much data do you use? I, I mean, so, the, the most data I've probably ever use is like 30 gigabytes whoa what did you do for 30 gigabytes holy crap look there was a phase in my life where i was watching a lot of netflix yeah and with without wi-fi nearby i mean no no what no no i i was uh i was at starbucks a lot (laughs) they have free wi-fi yeah, but it's free, not so great Wi-Fi. Ah, so, well, I mean, why why use that when I can use LTE? Well, uh, and uh, um, Verizon just announced this week that their uh, next generation LTE is going to start rolling out next year, and it's got a uh, latency of like less than ten milliseconds or something. So, yeah, that is excellent. We're getting to Although, a point where you may not need to pay for home internet uh, in four or five years, and it'll all be through whoever your wireless provider is. Oh God! I hope not. <laughs> I use I don't know how many terabytes of data I, I eat through at home. What do you do that you that you download that much stuff? Look, you don't look. You don't need to know. All right. <laughs> Suffice to say, <laughs> there's a lot of data coming in and out of this house. All right. Well, we should also note that the iPhone 6s also has a upgraded LTE radio, um, LTE mm-hmm. advanced. So for those people upgrading, you make it faster connection if where you live is supporting it and there's also i think faster wi-fi radios and stuff like that so a lot of internal tweaks to this phone uh what say you pretty good s upgrade or no i think it's probably one of their best actually yeah so you're Um, excited about 3d touch yeah i mean to me it it feels uh if they just slapped a different chassis on there it would feel like a new phone right basically i mean so um, there's enough going on internally, especially with the, the Taptic engine. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. adding in an entirely new uh, component yeah. in there. Um, so I, it feels like a very substantial uh, update. And uh, with the with the new upgrade program, I feel like they're 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 gonna they're gonna catch a lot of people. You know, maybe breaking out of their two year contract here. Does 3D Touch strike you as a power user feature? Um. No, I think, I mean, for for some things, yes. Uh, you know, like, uh, not going into an app. I don't think a, the common user would be interested in that. I right. Think 
opening an app is fine for them. Um, but for the for the other things like um, the so-called uh, uh, peak and pop, yeah. the popping and locking, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, peak the the peak mode is is probably going to be enticing um, mm-hmm. uh, as far as you know, like going through emails and stuff, right? Uh, you know, peeking into a map or is that uh, really going to save time? Uh, you know, like when you're looking at your email, I saw that one and I just didn't understand it. I think so. well, I don't know. It depends on how what your flow is, but I'm always right. finding myself you know, switching between apps um, when I'm composing emails and stuff. You know, to right. checking Safari or you know getting address uh, information and then coming back in to mail. I think this is going to save a lot of time for for the common consumer and um, and it's as well as be a decent update for power users and you know potentially it's going to get a lot deeper uh, in the next generation yeah uh, iOS 10 um, see where it, where it goes from there I am still a little skeptical as I've said in weeks past just the nature of force touch on the watch and it's kind of ooh, try this out and see if it works um, I see that being an issue still. I didn't see any UI elements to make it clear that you could do force touch actions on the phone. So I predict, not having used it, but uh, from what I've seen, I predict that this is going to be more of a power user feature. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about people who don't even use Touch ID on their phone, right? Mm. Um, I think that this is going to be something that's going to be advantageous for hardcore iPhone users who. Uh, you know, know all the little tweaks and, and little hidden elements of the UI. Uh, this is going to be another layer for them that's going to save them time. But for your average iPhone user, I don't know how much of a difference this is going to make. But time will tell. Yeah, I mean, they are really hyping it as like the feature of right. the success. I mean, they. they well, what even... else would you hype? Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, I mean that... there's nothing like you're not going to sell more phones because of a color or an upgraded yeah, camera. Right. right. But it's that fact that they're hyping it yeah. that is going to, you know, put it in the hive mind. You know, it's going to it's going to get out there, yeah. and people will be, you know, cognizant of it. And you know, I'm sure it'll be it'll be a lot better to or a lot more efficient to to push that feature, 3D touch in store rather than you know pushing force touch on Apple Watch. True. Right? Because I mean, there's so much more you can you can do with it that it becomes a, a enticing selling point. Well, I mean, one of the selling points for the watch was uh, digital touch, right? That's been a big part of their campaign. Yeah. Well, but I mean, that's been what Apple's yeah. hyped. Yeah. And, you know, it's you can draw little pictures and send them to other people that have, have Apple Watches. And there's kind of a chicken and egg problem there because how many people do you know that, know that own an Apple Watch? And there's also just a screen size problem because how, how much can you draw on a, you know, one and a half inch screen? There's not yeah, really was, a lot that you can do. I was kind of hoping they would bring that uh, at least uh, to the 6S, you know, a, a bit of compatibility with uh, yeah. the Apple Watch. I mean, that, that'd be neat. Because right now, as it stands, it, it kind of stands alone as its own messaging or, a, you know, a secondary messaging right. uh, app on your Apple Watch, which is kind of weird to me. Yeah, it, it's one of those. And it, the fact that it has its own button dedicated to it on the watch, too. Yeah. It's a strange decision there and not one that I completely understand. Um I could see it being popular with kids, uh, but just the—it's impossible to draw anything on a screen that small. So, 
um, I am not sorry that they did not bring it to the success. One, one thing to note, though, um, that I uh, realized in the presentation yesterday, they were talking about the M9 motion coprocessor that's part of the A9 chip in the iPhone success. Mm-hmm. And uh, the new M9 motion coprocessor is always on, and it can track your uh, it estimates your uh, speed of walking or running which is something that is borrowed from the Apple Watch uh, the S1 chip in the Apple Watch so now if you go for a run with your iPhone then you don't want to use GPS or just uh, for the health app when you're running around um, it can estimate when you're exercising and more accurately track uh, you know calories burned and that sort of stuff so that's actually a Apple Watch element that has kind of quietly come to the iPhone success And the motion coprocessor, the M9, also, um, for some reason, is uh, running the Hey Siri capabilities. So now you don't have to have your iPhone or iPad Pro uh, plugged in uh, for your iPhone to be able to respond to Hey Siri. It'll always be creepily listening to you. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, such is life. You give and take. (laughs) Who cares, really? Right. I mean, they're they're all about the privacy. And if it if it adds value to your life, then why not? All right. Okay, so I mean that is uh, iPhone 6s. It's it's faster, stronger, lighter, deeper, <laughs> stiffer. Right. I mean, what else can you say? Well, it's not forceful, so. Yeah, that's true. Well, uh, do you uh, do you need a website, Neil? Uh, I do. Good. Well, why not do it yourself with Wix.com? When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. No matter what business you're in, we'll have something for you. Used by 60 million people throughout the world, Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites. You can even do it yourself with Drag and Drop Builder. It comes with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates and no coding needed. It's easy. It's free. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. Get your website live today. The result is stunning. Thanks to Wix.com for sponsoring our podcast today. With Wix.com, you don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. Go to Wix.com and easily create your own stunning website for free today. All right, and uh, up next, still on the uh, iPhone 6S event, we're moving on to Apple TV something that is near and dear to my heart my data eating heart <laughs> uh so it so apple tv 150 dollars for the uh, base model 32 gigabytes of storage comes with the siri remote new app store a uh, bunch of a uh, bunch of os improvements including support for gaming controllers <laughs> what do you think about it neil uh, again, kind of what we expected, right? Uh, the the UI looks pretty pretty fun, very colorful. Um, uh, a big change from the kind of drab uh, black pre 
previous uh, Apple TV interface. This one, uh, when you select something, it kind of like dances around and stuff. And um, it it seems like they're trying to market this as a very friendly device, which plays in with uh, the controller supporting casual games and stuff like that. Um, and as we predicted, this is kind of a device that is aiming for the whole of the market. They're not going after just Roku. They're going after Nintendo and even to some extent, you know, Sony's PlayStation and Microsoft's Xbox One. How successful they're going to be doing that, we will see. But, uh, I mean, this is really a catch-all device, uh, input one, as they say, uh, something that wants to be everything that you do in the living room. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what developers do with it. Uh, they really showed off a wide range of apps for uh, for it at the presentation. Uh, there was wasn't there, there was one for uh, uh, Airbnb or something. Uh, they had a few travel ones, right, where you could like mm-hmm. see what the room looked like before you booked it on your TV. Yeah. I don't know, uh, and they did some shopping on there too. Uh, well, Zillow is on there. You can buy a house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know how popular that's going to be, but uh, options are good, right? So, if people want it, it's out there, I guess, and developers want to make it. I think that it's really going to be about streaming video content and casual games. That's that's what this thing's about, right? Yeah, no doubt. I think they're just—I don't know. I mean, even the Zilla thing is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I, I think they're—they're they're just trying to get you know the the notion out there that your Apple TV is no longer just an Apple TV. It is basically uh, entertainment-focused, hypercharged smartphone that connects to your HDTV. Right. What was the game they showed off yesterday? It was a. Uh some oh, Crossy Road? Crossy Road. Crossy so I've never played Crossy Road before. This is my first experience seeing it. It looked like a Frogger, a modern version of Frogger or something. Yeah, it's it's a Frogger knockoff. Yeah. I, that's probably one of the uh, more entertaining uh, demos I've seen. Yeah. They, they actually look like they're having fun up there. They, is, they also have a Guitar Hero coming out, um, mm-hmm, but they mm-hmm. made no mention of actual... Uh, you know things uh, like any accessories, like guitar accessories. So, and from the screenshots, it looks like you just play it with the remote and just press buttons on the remote, which I can't imagine that that's particularly exciting. But uh, there you go. Um, and it feels to me like, uh, as somebody who's I- who's into indie games and kind of smaller games and ex- interesting experimental games, many of which are on the iPhone. It just feels like Apple is just kind of dipping their toes in the water, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not well, a I mean, full-on embrace of let's get games on here. It's kind of a, oh, isn't this cool? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it feels a little half-baked to me. Yeah. Um, especially uh, coming so late in the uh, a- after the last one was released, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I feel I'm not. I'm not really certain what their strategy for the living room is yet, and I'm not sure that they actually have wrapped their heads around it completely either. I know they're. I know Tim Cook saying that apps are the future of TV, and that's a great thing to say when you own the biggest app ecosystem on earth, yeah. right? Um, but really, what does that mean for the consumer? Apps are the future of TV. Mm-hmm. 
TV is always going to be about, you know, a couple things, watching shows, playing games. Um, and, you know, for a small percentage of people, uh, smart TV, internet access and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not sure what they can disrupt really in this category. The, um, the demo of MLB at app was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports picture in picture. They said NHL is coming next year. I'm down with that. Um, availability of apps is good. Uh, I currently mostly use an Xbox one just because it controls my cable box and I'm stuck with cable, but Xbox one does not yet have an HBO now app. So I have to switch to my Apple TV to watch HBO now. Why it's not on the Xbox. I don't know. Um, but you got to think that going forward, this Apple TV is going to be the platform of choice for anybody who's putting content out there. Right. I mean, Apple by default is going to be, so I I don't think you're going to have to worry about that kind of stuff like you do with current consoles now where it's like, Oh, is it supported on this console? Like I I can get, uh, Amazon instant video on a lot of platforms, but it's not an Apple TV currently, (laughs) you know? Oh, shocking. Yeah. Whoever's decision that is, I don't know, but Presumably, now that there's an open app store, there's going to be an Amazon instant video streaming capability for Apple TV, which will be nice. So bringing down those walls, I think, is a good thing. Um, It supports uh, not only the Wii remote-style controller that comes with it, the Siri remote, but also will support made-for-iPhone Bluetooth gaming controllers, which can be larger and more complex, like an Xbox controller. But if you go through the developer documentation, it says in there that developers are discouraged from making games that solely rely on a controller, uh, a, a more larger form factor controller. So mm. basically they're saying, please don't make complex games. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, I don't know, like we were talking about in the last show, I don't know if that's a mistake or, or not, because, uh, I mean, if you look at, Amazon's Fire TV, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they 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 pushed gaming like super hard, and they made their own controller for it and created their own game studio. Yeah, but the game that they were making or that they launched it with was crap. And I mean, it was all right for a smartphone game, but right. I mean, on a TV, when you compare that to something, uh, you know, that's a console that's you know already sitting here probably uh, for someone who's going to buy the the fire tv it, it doesn't compare really i mean it's no. good for it's, it's a quick quick fix yeah. stuff is interesting um and apple kind of showed that in their in their uh reveal ad right uh, yes i think i think the guy was like what were they watching they're watching fast and furious and then they said they want to play asphalt or yeah the Siri yeah which yeah you know, it, i i can kind of see stuff like that happening maybe not that specific thing <laughs> Hey, it's the best part of Fast and Furious. Let's uh, switch win. <clears throat> I, I live my life quarter mile at a time. <laughs> yeah. I, I think um, a lot of people mention Nintendo and the Wii talking about this, and for good reason. Um, you look at the success that Nintendo had with the Wii. That was a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the lack of success that non-Nintendo developers had with the Wii. And that is just the nature of games. Most mm-hmm. people do not want to pay $60 for a Call of Duty or a Mario game or whatever. They will pay a dollar or nothing for an Angry Birds game happily because at that price they can buy 60 
fun time wasters rather than one really great fun time waster. Yeah. So I'm thinking that's, that's the market that they're going for. It's not going to be these $60 blockbusters. They could be on there. They could be released mm. from this platform. But I think that really where this will catch on is with people that just want quick, free $1 games, sit down and play them. And I think it could be a success doing that. But you just can't yeah. look at it as, as it's going to knock out, you know, the Xbox or something like that. I mean, yeah, I th- they didn't even I put an A9 processor in this, still run the A8. It's a fatal flaw in many people's arguments that it's even being compared to uh, consoles, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's a, it's a totally new... It's, it's a totally new beast. It's uh, something that we haven't really seen before. It's bringing... Um, you know, mobile gaming to your TV, which is kind of coming full circle, right? I mean, right. TV games came to mobile, and now they're going back on the TV, except smaller and more bite-sized because no one has attention spans long enough to <laughs> play a, a campaign. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I agree that uh, the, the whole Wii uh, uh, strategy and that, that model could be effective when applied to Apple TV or something like it. And it would be good for Apple because mm-hmm. they don't care if you aren't paying $60 for a game, as evidenced by the price of apps for iPhone and iPad. Um, certainly, Apple would like the apps to cost more, but um, I don't think that it really matters to Apple. Whereas for Nintendo, Nintendo's in the business of making $60 games, $50 games, and they want developers to make games to their platform and sell them for $50, $60. If people buy a Nintendo Wii and are just content with Wii Sports until they get rid of the console or collects dust, that's bad for everybody involved. But for Apple, they I don't think they care. So they, they can get into this market and not have the stakes be as high as it is for a company like Nintendo or Microsoft or something like that, where they're targeting a very different market. Right. Well, Nintendo is getting into mobile games, right? I mean, they said they're yeah. Uh, well, they're gonna some they're gonna franchises. bring their some of their franchises their old school. To, uh, yeah, their stale franchises. But I mean, maybe we could see that come to Apple TV. Maybe, yeah, day. I mean, maybe. And you know, for Nintendo, they are the only company that actually makes money on the hardware that they sell in that space. Presumably, Apple's going to make money on the hardware they sell here, too, because that's what Apple does. But you look mm-hmm. at Microsoft and you look at Sony, and they sell their consoles yeah. souped up at, at a loss yeah. because their idea is they collect a portion of all the game sales and they make it up on that end. But, you know, it took, what, six or seven years for Microsoft's Xbox division to be profitable? Yeah. That's not yeah. a that's not a business that Apple gets into. They're not going to compete with that because they don't want to sell you a souped up box. If they want to do that, they would have put the A9 chip in this thing and it still's running last year's A8 chip. So they're dipping their toes in the water with gaming and that's perfectly fine. It's there were a lot of people complaining because there's a limit on the apps. Uh, they can't be more than 200 megabytes and then when you launch the app it can load data from the internet and it'll store it temporarily until it runs out of space. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that prevents, like, huge games, like if you want to get Grand Theft Auto San Andreas from your phone and play it on your Apple TV, it's like a 1.5 gig install. So they'd have, like, a 200 meg install, and then you'd load the game, and then it would have to download the rest of it before you could play it. So that's going to hurt games, but that's something they'll fix over time. This thing's got 32 and 64 gigs of storage in uh, the $149, $199 models. Right. Well, looking at the hardware, um, they have the... Uh the Siri remote, obviously, but mm-hmm. what about uh, 
what about the lack of ports on the back, which is they didn't really do, you know, they kind of glossed yeah. over that in the uh, This pissed me off. Know. This really upset me because I still use the optical port with headphones. So I've been traveling a lot, and I don't have a receiver that I use. So if I want to use headphones with something, uh, you either need to get a box that will uh, break uh, the digital copyright protection and rip the audio and put it over optical, which... Right. You know, could, there could be an update to HDMI that would prevent that in the future and you'd be screwed. Or you need a device that complies with HDCP and allows you to output audio over optical. And the second and third generation Apple TV were those kind of devices, and they did separate audio out over optical. This Apple TV, even though the hardware is taller and bigger and has the space for it on the back, they did not include an optical port in this one. Yeah, that is an odd decision i mean I, I see what they're doing they're trying to streamline right. the ports and connecting and stuff but it it does limit your options pretty severely a lot of people have tvs with optical outs on them so what you would do is plug the hdmi from your tv um, into the apple tv and then the tv itself would rip the audio the problem with that is a lot of times the uh, audio that comes out of the tv is not surround sound it's actually just stereo and puts it out over optical yeah so if you were uh if you had, for example, a receiver that is older and doesn't have HDMI inputs on it, then you may need to upgrade your receiver. Or if you have gaming headphones that can simulate 5.1 sound, uh, then you would not be able to get that. So this is something that applies to me personally, and I'm sure that there are a fair amount of people out there. Because, I mean, how often do you upgrade your speakers and your receiver, right? I mean, some people well, run in receivers that are 10 years old. Those are the best. What this really speaks to, though, is... Whoever's in charge of the HDMI compliance folks need to make it so that headphones can have an HDMI pass-through. That would be nice. I, I don't uh, know that that product exists. I, mean, I don't know, yeah. If someone is listening and knows of headphones that have an HDMI pass-through, let me know. I will buy them. I've searched and I can't find them. I wonder if Sony... I mean, Sony's all up in that. Yeah. I have, a, I have a really nice Sony wireless headset, um, and it's has like a docking station and everything like that but it's only optical that's the way they all are if you mm. get those like gaming headphones like the uh turtle beach those are optical as well right well i mean talking about the remote uh it's a new thing for apple tv and uh apple's on a roll with introducing new accessories for their new devices and i it's a pretty good segue into the iPad Pro and the smart keyboard and Apple Pencil. The uh, the huge ass 12.9-inch <laughs> elephant in the room is was uh, introduced yesterday. Uh, hold on. There's a... Uh, getting choppy. Yeah, I'm so. getting it too. All right. Sounds better now. One away. Okay. So the 12.9-inch iPad Pro announced yesterday... Targeting professionals, artists, enterprise customers, not necessarily the average Joe. Uh, what do you think about that, Neil? I'm irrationally excited for this device. Um, I really like what they've done here. I love the idea of a bigger iPad. I love the idea of a more formal um, laptop, desktop replacement. I love the smart connector. I love the fact that Apple is playing nice with third-party accessory makers. They, they worked, imagine this, they worked with Logitech 
on this before the iPad Pro is announced to allow them to design a keyboard that's going to be there on launch day. This is Apple we're talking about, the most secretive company that doesn't work with anybody. Worked with Logitech. They made a smart keyboard. And this was actually a surprise. We knew there was going to be a port on the side of it, but we didn't know what it was. There were rumors there was going to be a USB-C port and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The smart connector is really cool. And Apple's going to sell a, uh, what is it, $169 keyboard cover. Yep, yep. So it attaches magnetically, but because of the design of the port allows power to go both ways, the keyboard is much like a Microsoft Surface. Uh, The keyboard is not powered. It's powered by the tablet itself. So it works like this current smart cover, but it has an extra flap on there, and you can prop it up and uh, use the keyboard. Not excited about that because it's not good for lap use. You would have to use it on like a table. It's the same problem Mm -hmm. that the Microsoft Surface has. Having said that, uh, having a nice ultra portable keyboard that's flat like that, pretty cool. Um, I'm I'm glad that they're doing it and it's a good direction for the iPad. Um, I am excited because Apple made it very clear that, that data and power go both ways through the smart connector. So what you're basically looking at is a MagSafe port on an iPad that can be used to charge the iPad in the future, potentially. Nothing was announced. No products that will do that yet. But I would love to see some sort of a docking station that you can plug into the wall that has a keyboard and you put your iPad down it to charge and do some computing and then you just pull it right off there when you want to go and do something else with a tablet. That has a lot of potential to be the computer that you need it to be at a given moment in time. And to me, that's really exciting and shows where Apple is planning on taking the iPad lineup into the future. I, the smart connector is what excites me. I, I don't draw. Um, my handwriting's terrible. So I don't really have any interest in the Apple Pencil. But that's another element. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, Steve Jobs said if you see a stylus, they failed. Well, what Steve Jobs meant was if the stylus is your primary way of interacting with this device, of course they failed because it's a nightmare. This is an optional accessory for people that want to use it. It doesn't apply to me. It's not something I would want to use. But there are plenty of people out there that this is going to be a huge accessory for. Right. It's not a, It's not replacing multi-touch. It's augmenting it mm-hmm. and only in very specific uh, scenarios. Um yeah, so I mean, it's great to have a soundbite that you know says, "Oh my God, Apple, what are you doing, <laughs> Steve? Steve Jobs, this would never have happened yeah, if right. he was still alive." <laughs> but I mean, really, uh, technology has come to the point where Apple can uh, release something like this, or you know, uh, develop something like this uh, that actually makes sense and is much more usable than you know, past. Uh, attempts at it. It's it's kind of like a Wacom yeah. uh, technology in a way. Um, so I mean, when when I first heard the rumors about Apple uh, launching a stylus, and I think the initial it it evolved or evolved into this kind of speculation that they would just have a, a dumb stylus, right, like a stick, basically. Yeah. Which didn't really make sense to me because I mean, what upside is that for Apple? And uh, that told, ended up to be uh, completely wrong. Um, they had to actually, you know, build in hardware support on the iPad side to make the Apple Pencil work, which 
is really the only true solution for uh, getting the kind of the, the level of um, precision and uh, interactivity that you're getting with a pencil, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it can it'll select on a pixel level, and then you know you can tilt it. Yeah, uh, you can you know do pressure sensitive operations with it. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so I'm really, I'm really interested in seeing how that works. I'm not an artist by any means, but uh, it is very appealing to have uh, something like that on offer from Apple. I think it's really cool that the Apple Pencil, on the other end, it charges through a male lightning connector. So what you do is mm-hmm. you pop the back of it off, plug it into the lightning port on your iPad, and your iPad charges the Pencil. But what's really cool is Apple says that plug it in just for 15 seconds into the iPad and you get 30 minutes of uptime on the Apple Pencil. I mean, yeah, that's that is incredible. insanity. How long, how long until we see pictures of uh, people uh, holding their iPad Pro up like uh, billboard signs with <laughs> the Apple Pencil stuck in the bottom? Uh, and uh, interesting to note, too, since we're talking about lightning, um, the the uh, Siri remote for the Mm -hmm. Apple TV also charges it as a female lightning port on the remote. So you charge it through your iPhone cable or whatever. Uh, There was some speculation that maybe uh, Apple would do away with lightning and embrace USB-C across all of its devices, including the iPhone. I think that uh, the Apple Pencil and the Apple TV would suggest that lightning is here to stay for a little while. Uh, I think so. I mean, they invested a substantial amount of money into creating it as a um, uh, a replacement for the 31 pin right yeah so uh, I don't see them dishing it anytime soon I, I mean it's a good it's a good solution just like us I mean USB-C is good it's um, surprised that the Apple TV remote doesn't charge through USB-C though I would have thought USB-C it could be uh, I, I don't know I wouldn't have been surprised either way I mean yeah there's I have so many lightning connectors lying around right. the house. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad it's lightning. I don't have anything yeah. USB-C yet that will, I'm sure, be changing soon. But I mean, if it was USB-C, then uh, I guess you'd have to get a USB-C cable that could connect to a wall warp, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, I mean, Apple has that, I mean, built in into their install base. So I guess it's a decent decision. Um, I mean, the remote lasts for a very long time. Yeah. What three was months. it, 30 days or three months? Three months, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, that's pretty insane. So, I mean, yeah. So, what do you think of the pricing on this iPad Pro? It starts at 800 and that gets you 32 gigs of storage. Uh, for yeah. 150 more, you can get it up to 128 gigs of storage. And then they got a top-of-the-line model, which is over 1000 was like $1,050. And that yeah. has LTE, Wi-Fi, 128 gigs. I feel like they should have had a 256 gig model for starters. Um, mm. I feel like 128 is kind of uh, cutting it a little low. And then when you figure out, well, okay, you're not going to get the 64 or the 32 gig, you're going to get the 128 gig. Then you got to pay 99 bucks for the stylus, and you got to pay 169 or whatever it is for the keyboard. You're looking at the cost of a uh, MacBook, mm-hmm. but I mean, who are they targeting here right. with this with this thing? I mean, it uh, for the the top end model with uh, with cellular, uh, 
obviously they're going for the enterprise market on that. Right. Um, people who take it out in the field, I don't know, uh, real estate agents or surveyors or whoever it is. Um, and with the, the cheaper Wi-Fi models, maybe creatives or creative professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's comparable with other offerings from, you know, again, Wacom has their Cintiq. Uh, tablet system, but it isn't. You know, it's not really a. It's not as powerful as the iPad. It can't run different apps and all that stuff. Um, but it does have the pressure-sensitive stylus and all that that good stuff that artists need. So I mean, it's it's a good uh, middle-of-the-road device, but I don't I don't know if people are really or it's going to really drive sales. It is still expensive, and it's kind of a niche product at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, who wants to carry around a you know 13-inch iPad? It's kind of defeats the purpose of having a tablet, really. So, so let's when you can't let's run down the list what, here. Are you going to buy an iPhone 6s? Yes. Yes, I am as well. Are you going to buy an Apple TV? Probably. What capacities of both? Uh, the highest. Okay, I will do yeah. the same. Uh, iPad Pro, are you going to buy one? I don't know. I don't. I, I want one, but I don't need one. Yeah, I feel the same way. But, but let's say I did. Let's say I did. I I, I bought, and I wouldn't. I couldn't buy the thirty-two because, uh, I mean, with the that huge screen, there's going to be content that is going to yeah you know, be extremely data intensive, and I'm not going to rely on streaming over Wi-Fi for that, so I, I'd probably have to go with the, at least a 64. Well, there, there is no 64, right? Is it, I mean, I see, at least the uh, 128. Yeah. Yeah. So, will you get the pencil and or the keyboard? I would be interested in the pencil. Um, not really interested in the keyboard because it uses dome switches mm-hmm. and it's not tactile. Yeah. But, I mean, if, if you do buy the the Pro, it is acting as a pseudo laptop replacement. And there's a lot of great um, enhancements in iOS 9 specific to hardware keyboards that this takes advantage of. Yeah, so I guess, the, I guess uh, yeah, count me in. I have a, a bridge keyboard that I reviewed about a year ago, I mm-hmm. guess. B-R-Y-D-G. Y-D-G, yeah. Um, it's a iPad Air uh, MacBook style keyboard attachment. I love it because it allows me, if I want to, to use my iPad like a laptop. And what I mean by that is put it on my lap. I can't do that. I, I tried it to work. They, uh, Microsoft sent me a Surface a couple years ago, and I tried mm-hmm. to work with it for a day, and <laughs> it was just it was just a nightmare. And the kickstand just it does not work on your lap. When you have a laptop, the base of it needs to be heavy, like in a laptop with a light screen. With an iPad, obviously, all the weight, and with a Surface, all the weight is in the screen itself. So you need something sturdy to make it work. The bridge works great for this. I am not sure how well it's going to work with Apple's keyboard because it gets a light cover. I'm guessing it's not going to have a great lap ability, for lack of a better term, which, yeah. if you're working on a desk, I'm sure it's fine, but I want something that gives me that lap ability, and I will take the added weight and size that it requires for that because I don't want to do that with my iPad all the time but sometimes I want to do that with my iPad and having that option Mm -hmm. I think would be great and so that's why I'm so excited about this smart connector 
I really want to see the types of accessories that come out because you can imagine if I, I don't know what the restrictions are on it. We got to look through the developer documents and see what the licensing terms are and all that. But imagine you could connect anything magnetically to it, right? Uh, yeah. For instruments, for whatever, any kind of dock that you could imagine that would connect to your iPad and potentially recharge it or potentially be powered by the iPad. That opens up a huge range of potential and convenience there to have this be a next generation computing device. So I'm thinking, when I'm excited about the iPad Pro, I'm thinking a year, two years, three years down the road where whether it's personal, business, whatever you're doing, all these cool opportunities that you could have just to slap your iPad on something and have it turn into the screen or something that powers something. I, I, I think that there could be a great amount of potential here to do some really, really cool stuff. So I'm excited. I think I'm going to get an iPad Pro. I don't know if I'm going to buy either of the accessories, though. i got to see what this Logitech keyboard looks like and how much it costs and just kind of go from there. Hmm. But we did... You, um, you, go ahead. You don't want to buy the pencil? I mean, it's uh, they, they made serious hardware improvements. I can't even read my own there. handwriting. So... I, You're going to be drawing birds, yeah. wild, exotic animals. Let me send you a, a, a digital touch thing on my watch, and you can see how bad of a drawer I am. <laughs> it's going to be a smiley face. Yeah. Uh, so anyhow, I, I wanted to um, – this seems like a good enough segue because I put out a thing on our uh, Twitter earlier, at uh, Apple Insider, if you're not following, for all the latest Apple news. And I asked our many readers uh, what they felt about yesterday's Apple event. And a lot of people uh, wrote to us and said that they are upset that there's no third-generation iPad Air. Ooh. Yeah. Um, at Frank Reinthaler said, my main question would be, why no iPad Air 3? And a bunch of other people um, agreed with him here. And another one, uh, James Reb, at James R-E-B, uh, he said he needed a cigarette afterwards, <laughs> minus the concert. Uh, it didn't need one more thing, but no update for the iPad Air 2. Um, and another one, Christy, Chrissy Fen said, "Agree with previous tweet. Where is the iPad Air 3?" You got to think that Apple didn't want to take away from the limelight of the iPad Pro, right? I mean, that's why. Yeah, I mean, there would be uh, the, the, some of the people who are looking at uh, iPad Air 3. Mm -hmm would also be in the same market right. for a pro. Uh, so releasing them both at the same time would be a mistake for uh, you know, for another product that just debuted. It's basically an, an entirely, almost, an in, almost a new platform considering its incredibly huge size and capabilities uh, compared to current iPad lineup. But um, yeah, I mean, th there, there wouldn't be any point in announcing an iPad 3, but they did make up for it uh, not for for not updating the iPad mini right. with the new iPad mini 4. They, the which, iPad mini gained an A8 processor, not the A8X, um, and it's thinner, and it stays at $400. The iPad mini 3 was an atrocity, let's be honest. That thing was yeah. the same processor as its predecessor, the same size, the same everything. All they did was add Touch ID and charged $100 more for it. Wait, you got a new color. Oh, jeez. That was a big mistake, so they fixed that this year. It probably should have put an A9 in it, but they needed to, again, allow the iPad Pro to stand out. I would right. say, tell me if you think I'm wrong here, Mikey, but I would say it is an inevitability 
that if not next year, in the next couple of years, what you see in the current iPad Pro, including the smart connector, support for the stylus, keyboard, uh, smart keyboard, those are coming to the iPad Air. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Trickle down. Yeah. The law... The law of trickle-down Apple technology. How long do you think they'll hold out on that and make it so you have to buy the Pro in order to get these Pro features? I would say two years two would years. be sufficient. I mean, they, they just have to get a solid base of Pro users, right, mm-hmm. before they start diluting that brand. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll obviously come down to the, quote, smaller version, which is, you know, the 9.7-inch air but uh yeah i mean it, it might stop there i don't know i don't know if i could see it coming out for the mini it's kind of a too small of a screen for something like the uh the pencil but for i mean as far as the technology for the uh the docking technology for the keyboard yeah i mean i could definitely see that coming down the entire range do you think that cursor input on the ipad platform is an inevitability I don't know about that. I still think that Apple wants to differentiate between uh, OS X and iOS. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is one of the main, if not the main uh, feature that s- separates those two. So I'm not sure if, I, if we'll see that. I know they're kind of moving towards it with the the two-finger cursor movements on the, uh, iOS, in 9. iOS 9. Yeah. But I don't know if we'll see a full-blown... Uh, you know, mouse type cursor anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, they they could do it for on a per app basis. Mm-hmm. I could see that happening, maybe, uh, but definitely not across the entire operating. I system. I think if they did it, they have to do it across the operating system because then otherwise you're in this weird place where it's like, do I touch the screen? Do I touch the mouse? What works yeah. and what doesn't? I think if you're gonna do it, you got to go whole hog. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't would, see that happening anytime soon. I would like it. I think it would be great for productivity. Um, it would make it a much more capable working machine. I see why they don't do it. I would not be surprised if they never did it. Uh, but, again, productivity would be a lot better if you had some sort of a precision input. And much like the Apple Pencil, this is not something that would be required for the device to be used. It exists on its own as a slate of glass to turn it into whatever you want it to be. You can dock mm-hmm. it and connect a keyboard and a mouse, and it can be a traditional computer. You can just have it be a tablet. You can have it be a payment terminal. You can have it be a tour guide like they have at the World Trade Center. Um, you can have it be anything. That's the future that I see coming for the iPad. It's just going to take us some time to get there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, hope all, all these devices will converge at one point, yes. right? I mean, they have but to. What will that device look like? Right. So another, co- uh, we'll tear through a couple of reader comments here. Um, Ken Arnsbarger said, uh, not 4K on the Apple TV, but it's touted as the future of TV. He's upset that the iPhones shoot 4K video, but the Apple TV can't display it. Good point. Hmm. As I said earlier, there's only one Apple device currently that can display 4K content natively. So, although I guess the... Um, can you fit 4K content on the iPad Pro? Will that work? They, sh- they mention in the press I materials editing 4K video, but I don't know if the resolution is high enough. I think... Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to check on that. But, I mean, again, 
that would be a huge, huge file. And yes. You'd have to stream that. So I don't know how uh, I don't know how great that would be as an experience. Uh, longtime reader Jim Neal at James W. Neal said that he was very happy with what he heard yesterday on all fronts. Uh, Jesse Morgan at XX Hexagon X said the pencil sold the iPad Pro for him first upgrade for him since uh, the third generation iPad with Retina display. And he said Apple TV. He's looking forward to the Wii box. So I think Jesse's looking forward to playing some games. Um, nice. And then one more here. Uh, Alex Cormier uh, at Style and Stylite said so many iPad models, though the Pro is very intriguing. Good move on the new watch finishes. So let's take mm-hmm. that opportunity to just kind of go through the rest of the announcements here. We have uh, rose gold and yellow gold Apple Watch Sport finishes that were announced. Uh, new partnership with uh, Hermes. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not a watch guy. Hermes. Hermes. Is that what it is? Hermes. So that shows how ignorant I am. So go ahead and laugh at me. Uh, you're a watch guy. What do you think about this? Um, well, I mean, it's great. I suppose for people who can afford it, mm-hmm. uh, the the band the straps look pretty good. Um, it's it's going to be outrageously expensive. Mm-hmm. I just know that right now. Right. I, I mean, I don't know. This is just another play at the high end market. Uh, it really doesn't impact the average consumer in, in any way. Do you, but, do you feel like the yellow gold sport model kind of dilutes the appeal of the no, eighteen karat gold? No. No, it, I mean it, it doesn't even look the same. Right. It's totally, it's totally different. Right. Um, people who are, you know, in the market for uh, a ten thousand dollar Apple Watch probably don't care mm-hmm. that there's a there's a, a faux gold model in aluminum. Uh, it's just another option. Uh, it, it's interesting that they're expanding the. Um, the sport line, yeah. which kind of suggests that that is maybe the highest selling version, uh, since they're concentrating on that. The and most. they're selling the space black um, Apple Watch stainless steel version with a black sport band. Now, previously, you had to get it with a space black, uh, whatever they call that, metal band, um, yeah. and it would cost like eleven hundred dollars. So now you can get a space black. Apple Watch stainless steel for five fifty, so they're definitely trying to bring the prices down. You can see that happening. So that kind of, as you alluded to, gives an idea of probably what kind of consumers are buying the Apple Watches right out of the gate. That's unfortunate because uh, I really wanted the space black <laughs> version, but there I you go. didn't want to pay a thousand dollars for it. Uh, so real quick, we'll also go over uh, software updates announced. iOS nine and WatchOS two come out on September sixteenth. I installed the <clears throat> um, Golden Masters of these yesterday. Uh, still having problems with iOS 9. I hope that they have another release candidate out this next week because the keyboard does not work well in the Messages app. So you may want to hold off on updating if nothing changes between now and then. But who am I kidding? You're listening to this. You're probably going to update as soon as you can if you're not already running the Golden Master. I've had some problems. Victor, um, who is normally our host here on the podcast, has had some problems. So, uh, downloader beware. Uh, OS 10 El Capitan is going to be on your Macs September 30th. That's a free download as well. And iOS 9.1 is already out. It's got some new emoji in there with uh, 
tacos and burritos and unicorn and other ridiculous things. So if you're a 14 year old who loves to do that kind of stuff and I use emojis, so I say that in jest, uh, you will have fun with that. Uh, Mikey, really quick, I wanted you to go over this uh, Steve Jobs movie you saw. Oh, yeah. So saw Steve Jobs, Man in the Machine, which everyone is calling a slam on on Jobs, but I eh, I feel like it's a partial slam. I don't feel like he did it on purpose or purposely slamming him. Uh, the first half of the movie shows a you know a bunch of archival footage. Well, actually, the, the whole the whole uh, film has a a lot of things that I've rarely seen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, suffice to say, the first half is fairly pro-Apple and pro-Jobs, and then it takes a turn for the worse and kind of goes into all of the the dark secrets, as it were, <laughs> uh, Jobs, uh, the backdating scandal, um, which uh, two executives uh, had to step down and had, had to settle out of court with the SEC over. Um, Jobs was absolved of any wrongdoing, of course, the film alludes to the fact that he was a mastermind of it all. Um, another thing was his relationship with uh, Lisa, his first daughter, as well as her mother, Chris uh, Ann Brennan. Uh, the fact that he he deviated from his initial uh, moral compass of creating a industry or uh, creating a company that uh, did only good to one that was, you know, basically there for pure profit. I went into the Foxconn uh, workers. The film had a lot of interviews from people in Jobs' early life um, who were either estranged or no longer had contact with him for some time. It lacked a perspective. There were no current workers from Apple interviewed, so... um, a lot of jilted journalists were uh, were talked to about various indiscretions on Jobs' part. Um, so it kind of painted a bad picture of him in the second half of the uh, the film. And adding to that was the fact that they didn't resolve any of these issues for the viewer. Uh, it kind of left it up to you know the audience to make up their own mind, but it didn't provide enough uh, facts or information to do so in a balanced manner. Um, so I, in all the movie it, as a documentary is a little biased or more than a little biased, I'd say, but it does contain a lot of information in there that would be interesting to someone who is perhaps curious about how jobs, uh, rose to power, uh, what he did after gaining that power and, um, just, a lot of behind-the-scenes looks at early Apple. It's, a, it's an interesting film. So the director of this, Alex Gibney, is a very famous uh, documentarian um, who has a number of uh, acclaimed films. He won an Academy Award for his film Taxi the Dark Side in 2007. Um, I've right. seen uh, a lot of his work, and I'm a fan of his, so this is a film that I intend to see. Um, you can see it right now. It's in select theaters um, if you're in a major market, and it's also available on iTunes and other places like that. You can rent it for a few bucks, right? 
Um, yeah. And he's probably best known for the Scientology documentary that aired on HBO last year because that was, that was actually based on a, a book of the same name, Going Clear. Going Clear. Uh, fantastic documentary. Um, yeah. some, for myself, someone who grew up in uh, Florida where their headquarters uh, uh, is in Clearwater. Uh, or their secondary headquarters, or whatever you want to call it. They own most of the town of Clearwater, uh, Scientologists. So it was fascinating to me as somebody who's familiar with that. They also, uh, Gibney also did Enron, the smartest guys in the room. So mm. he's a very uh, highly acclaimed um, uh, director. And this movie is controversial because a number of Apple employees and executives, including Eddie Q, uh, has come out and slammed it and said this mean spirited and not a fair representation of who Steve Jobs was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He, he made a lot of claims in there, uh, or a lot of allusions to Steve Jobs. Right. But on the other hand, uh, he did, by asking those questions, give uh, a deeper and more meaningful sense of who Jobs was, right? I mean, we, we all get to see the public persona um, of Jobs, you know, as keynotes and public appearances but rarely do we get to see the behind the scenes stuff all that stuff is coming out now in books and movies um but to date this is one of the one of the films that contains you know some of the most um incendiary footage i guess you'd say so if i'm a hardcore apple fan who thinks that steve jobs was uh the most important person of the 20th and 21st centuries probably not a movie i want to watch well i mean it is entertainment you'll be extremely upset right at the end uh or by the end Mm -hmm. um but uh i don't know i mean to me this 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 film is so open-ended and kind of uh rudderless that it brings out your own biases Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're going into it with that bias, it's only going to be solidified by the end of it. Um, so if you if you worship Jobs as a tech deity, then you're not going <laughs> to come out of it, uh, you know, convinced otherwise. So um, it, it's it's worth watching for uh, the footage, especially the deposition stuff that he had in there. Uh, is from the deposition. A 2008 SEC investigation over the backdating that has been aired elsewhere, but this kind of collects all that in one place. So for that reason, I would I would say you know just rent it. It's worth seeing once. Okay, great. Well, I would encourage everybody to check out the show notes and click the link to see Mikey's review. Um, I thought he did a really bang up job on the review. It was uh, well written. So definitely check that out and um, see what he had to say about it. And finally, for our last story this week, I wanted to talk about um, something that I reviewed, um, a product called the Grip and Shoot, which is a iPhone camera accessory. It's a handle with a clamp on it that connects to your iPhone, um, and it has a trigger on the front, and it allows you to control the camera of a accompanying app. And why you would want it, some people in the comments were mistakenly calling this a selfie stick um it's not really what this is considering it doesn't extend from you it's just a comfortable way to hold your iphone steady and get video or photo 
Um, and it has a couple extra buttons on the front, a plus and a minus that are programmable. So you can make it uh, digital zoom. You can have it switch between photo and video modes. You can change the exposure uh, and, and things like that um, with physical buttons without having to touch the screen um, on the phone. I, I went into this product skeptical. Um, I, di I didn't uh, think that I would like it as much as I did, but it brings a few unique things to the table um, that if you're looking for something like this, I would recommend it. Uh, one of the things that I thought was pretty cool is uh, the top of it, which is the clamp, is removable. And then the bottom of it, the little butt at the bottom of it, can be removed as well, and that has a tripod mount in it. So what you can do is, in a pinch, you can connect these two pieces that are at separate ends of the device and put your iPhone on a mount, and then you still have the trigger separate from it, and so you could do a remote iPhone trigger for taking photos, like group photos, or maybe putting the camera somewhere that you can't physically get to and triggering photos that way. So that was an interesting element of it um, that just kind of adds to the versatility of it. And, you know, there's something to be said when you shoot with an iPhone, how thin it is. It's hard to hold it steady in your hand and get a good shot, especially if you have an iPhone 6 with those curved edges. Uh, having something with a grip in your hand really does allow you to get steady and have that trigger there. So definitely, um, I can see this being very appealing for someone who shoots a lot of video and wants to get, like, a steady shot but not necessarily pay a bunch of money for one of those fancy gimbals or something like that. The main downside to this product is because it's a Bluetooth accessory that has to be programmed and all that, it does not work with Apple's camera app or likely any third-party camera app you're using. There are a handful of third-party apps. The developer has uh, put out a API so you can use his uh, tools to support the grip and shoot. Um, the app that he has, is it's fine. Um, it shoots photos. Uh, the one thing I didn't like about it was there's no burst mode like you have in um, uh, the Apple's camera app. So you can hold down the trigger and it will repeatedly take photos, but it does not take them at nearly the speed that Apple's camera app does. So uh, all in all, I give it three and a half stars out of five. Um, I would recommend it to people that are in the market for something like this. Uh, I think that there is a market for it, and I think people, as long as they know the, the limitations going into it, if they don't mind the fact that you have to use a downloadable free third-party app to justify this, uh, to actually use this device, um, then I think you'll be okay with it. Costs a hundred bucks. Um, it runs on a coin battery, which lasts for uh, thousands of photos, thousands of button presses. Um, you can unscrew it and pop out the coin battery, but there's no worry about recharging it or anything like that. So, all in all, I came away um, uh, more impressed with this product than I than I expected to. Interesting. Kind of expensive. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is it is Bluetooth, and it does have a good uh, mount on it, and it does offer some versatility. So, you know, I think this something like this would be better priced lower. You are right on that. Uh, but I, I like I, I like the uh, uh, custom customization that it offers, especially with this clamp on there. Secure, it can hold an iPhone 6s uh, plus. It could hold a, it held my iPhone in a Mophie battery case. So it has some some versatility there that I think helped justify the price a little bit. Cool. Check it out. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up for this edition of the Apple Insider Podcast. Uh, with us today was Neil Hughes. Neil, where can we find you on the web machine? Uh, I am on Twitter at thisisneil, N-E-I-L. Anywhere else? Perhaps a website? <laughs> yes, you can read my uh, uh, writings at Apple Insider, considering I am on the Apple Insider podcast. Very interesting. Yes. And I, too, am uh, 
at Apple Insider. I can be reached on the Twitters at MikeyCampbell81. And uh, if we think of any more sexual innuendos for the new iPhone 6S, we'll be sure to tell you next week. (laughs) Today's episode was brought to you by Wix.com. Used by 60 million people throughout the world, Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites. With the drag-and-drop builder and hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from, you can get your website live today. It's easy and free. Go to wix.com and create your stunning website today. 